I'm Hillary. And I'm Sandra. Today on the Quick and the Dirty podcast, we're going to talk to Dr. Erin Lovett. She's an OBGYN and she has a typical OBGYN practice where she delivers babies and does sexual health. But on top of that, she works out of an aesthetic studio called Yes Danny. And she makes vaginas pretty. Oh, thank God. <laughs> so she does vagina repair work is basically what I'm hearing. <laughs> of all sorts. Oh, Not fantastic. only does she do cosmetic processes out of Yes Danny, but she also does some work to help with incontinence and other sexual health. So we're going to learn all about that. And I think people sometimes are judgy about aesthetic procedures on the vagina. That's right. So we, uh, we, we break it down. That sounds weird, but we do. <laughs> the Quick and the Dirty Podcast with Hillary Welch and Sandra Plagakis. So our kids came home the other day from their mom's house. They're my stepkids, if you're new to the podcast. And I guess their mom had started to give them a little bit of a talk on sex. And they said that their mom told them that their dad and I have sex. And... <laughs> Wait a second. How old are they? So our kids are 11 and 13 and they came back from their moms and they said, mom told us that you have sex and we cried. (laughs) Okay. First of all, don't tell me a 13 year old doesn't know what's going on behind closed doors. She must. She must have an idea, but I think it's just being faced with that fact. Uh, I think it's also because their mom told them that all their grandparents have sex. Oh, God, no. So now they think everybody's having sex. And like the mental picture is disturbing. Like, do you remember the first time you realized that your parents were getting it on? Yeah, I I actually do. I'm pretty sure I heard them. And my mom had just given me a book about sex. So I was like, really? I had a lot of questions. And then when I heard the noises coming from, you know, the bedroom, I thought, holy shit, I think I know what's happening in there. And I never heard those noises very often. But when I did, it would freak me out. Just the thought of it. So it would be it's like emotionally scarring. Right. But, you know, at the same time, it's a different time now. So sex doesn't have to be emotionally scarring for a kid unless you made it that way, Hillary. (laughs) I had nothing to do with it. But uh, here's the thing. In our house, we use all the technical terms. It's vagina. It's vulva. It's penis. We don't hold back. Everything's very legitimate. Their mom and I both believe in being open about what sex is and how it can be pleasurable, but not talking about our own sex lives. So this was like the first time where they like thought about us. (laughs) And quite frankly, I'm scarred thinking about us having sex, too. So it's fine. So the bigger question is, they came back, they find out you're having sex. Then what did they say? Like, did they start getting technical? Because how do you navigate that? No, they avoided any other follow up. It was Thank just God. a statement and a runaway. And I couldn't be more thankful. I, <laughs> I'm actually blessed because I know growing up, my parents were not having sex. Because my mother would complain about it all the time. <gasps> no, she didn't. To you? Oh, yeah. Out loud. Well, your father won't touch me. <laughs> oh, my God. So she wasn't getting D and she made sure her kids knew. Oh, yeah. She made it as entirely uncomfortable as possible. I think the situation has changed. But there was a, a long period of time where I was like, this is something I don't have to worry about. 
What's weird is that, like, now that the kids know that you and your guy are having sex, their dad basically is, you know, getting some. Do you, like, are you going to throw in every once in a while? Yeah, he's a stallion. Something like that? (laughs) Well, we just have to be more careful, I guess. Like, I can't be grabbing his butt in the kitchen anymore. Why not? (laughs) I don't know. It's just a weird thing because they're also still not really quite sure how they feel about the whole divorce thing. So you don't want to rub it in their faces. No, okay, I get it. It's just, it's so, it's such a slippery slope because you don't want to make sex a gross thing and a dirty thing. You want to make it a normal, healthy thing between two loving people. But yeah, you're right. Yeah, there's baggage there. Yeah, it's it's such a tough thing because you do want your kids to think, yeah, like being affectionate at home and like being cuddly and and flirty is healthy. But at the but same do they time, see that? Yeah. are they seeing you and you are, do they see the two of you like cuddling and stuff? Sometimes. Yeah. But well, like it, it's the fine line between it needs to be there, but we don't throw it in their faces. That's right. They don't need to know that sometimes you get a good pounding. <laughs> God. <laughs> and I'm sorry to everybody listening who just found out. <laughs> okay. So I got to be honest, when I first heard about plastic surgery on the female genitalia, Quick to jump to conclusions, but maybe we just don't know the full story. Today, we are joined by Dr. Erin Lovett, and she's going to tell us a little more about what procedures are available through plastic surgery for the female genitalia. Welcome, Dr. Erin Lovett. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Hello. Uh, Dr. Lovett, I got to start off with a big question and uh, we might have to settle in for the answer because I think this is at the heart of what you do. Women come to you, obviously, for help with their vaginas. (laughs) I don't know. I laugh when I say vagina. I'm sorry. Um, Why? Why are women ashamed of their vaginas? And I know it's a big question, but I think it's worth answering. Right. That is, that's a very big question. And it's an important question to answer is why is anyone ashamed of any part of their body and particularly their intimate areas, their vagina? And I think it's a difficult question to answer because it goes through a lot of history. Um, Like any other body part, um, you know, women and men have concerns. Am I shaped differently? Am I created differently? Does this look funny? You know, and I think a lot of it has to do with a couple of things. One is what we're educated about as we're growing up and discovering our bodies and understanding what is normal and what is not normal. And then also the context in which we're raised. So ideas about vaginal health and intimate health in Canada is very different from worldwide ideas about what is beauty, what is normal and what is functional. So I think it's important that every woman and man and every human on the planet actually understands that the way that they're built is entirely normal. There is no abnormal. But what the difference is when it comes to people wishing to change things is, is the way that I'm built or the way that I'm created or the way in which my body is functioning now, is that working for me? Is it making me happy? Am I comfortable and am I healthy? And if the answer to that is, no, I'm not comfortable, I'm not healthy, then they can choose to alter it in a safe fashion. But it's never that there's something wrong with you or you should be ashamed of your vagina because nobody should be ashamed of their vagina. It's a magical place. (laughs) 
It is very well, magical. Mine now, to used to be more magical, of... by the way. It's not as magical anymore, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> to give people a little context of your background, you have a regular OBGYN practice through a hospital in London, but you also work with Yazdani Aesthetics to do intimate health work for them. So like you've done everything from deliver babies to, you know, labiaplasty. Correct. Yeah. So my background is I am a general obstetrician gynecologist. Uh, I love my general OBGYN practice. I get to, like you said, I get to deliver babies. I get to um, communicate with women regarding their gynecologic health and needs um, and do your typical uh, gynecologic surgery. Um, And then I developed an interest in what's kind of termed aesthetic gynecology. It's not necessarily plastic surgery, but it's the kind of this division of gynecology in which um, women who wish to have changes from an aesthetics portion to that area of their body um, could undergo that. So it's similar to say, when breast augmentation or breast surgery came about, Um, not necessarily well received, a lot of questions, around the plastic aspect. Um, So there's a lot of questions around the aspects of aesthetic gynecologic care that I provide. When people, when women, people, when women come in and they, uh, people don't come in, just women, I imagine. But yes, when they come in and they say, you know, uh, Dr. Lovett, I don't like the way my vagina looks. Do you ever look at someone and think there's absolutely nothing wrong with you? Maybe your problem is kind of in your head. You know, do you, do you, you, you just say to them, you know, why can't you just love your vagina? Why do you hate it so much? Not hate it so much, but why are you, I keep using the word hate, but I mean, why do you feel shame about your vagina? Do you ever ask your patients about that? Because I understand why there would be controversy surrounding the procedure, but I, at the same time, I also understand it too, because I, I need a couple of things done as well. <laughs> like I wouldn't mind. I've got some long-term goals. Exactly. Uh, totally. But you know, like I mean, I imagine there's a a very big consultation process at the beginning. Absolutely. Uh, You're absolutely correct, because especially in this aspect, and and we're talking about intimate areas, you know, when we're talking about the vulva and the vagina and, you know, uh, thoughts and expectations around that body part, um, first of all, it's much less accepted, but also it's very important for any clinical scenario to do a thorough consultation and evaluation to determine, you know, is this something that this person is undergoing um, from a, a place of safety? Or is this reflective of something along the lines of what's called body dysmorphic disorder? So is this something in which, you know, no matter how many procedures a person undergoes, they're never going to be happy with their body because the problem is not their body. The problem is, you know, their thoughts and expectations around their body image. So, yes, there's a very um, thorough and intensive consultative process that any of my patients go through um, prior to any consideration of procedures. So I want to touch quickly on the surgical stuff because I think most people are aware of those procedures and when they think about aesthetic procedures for the genitals, that's probably what you quickly go to. And then we'll get into some of the really interesting rejuvenation stuff that you guys have on the the map. But uh, when I think of labiaplasty, all I think about is the porn industry (laughs) and how it's so weird that we all want to have the same labia. Oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, Hillary, I'm totally with you on that one because I feel like the porn industry has 
kind of ruined the expectation in many ways of what a vagina should look like. Not every vagina looks the same and they're different. And they're like you said, they're magical, but the porn industry has created this expectation that they should all look a certain way and they don't. So how does that feel uh, factor into all of this? Yeah, that's a fantastic point. So, you know, one of my favorite pieces of art is the great wall of vagina. Um, which if you've ever had the opportunity to see it, it's amazing. It's this great piece of work that was done by a European artist, and it's basically plaster mold of different vulvas. And it's very reflective of the norm, you know? So it's this great wall of vulvas. And you can look from one to the next and say, you know, that one, maybe that one's too big or that one's too floppy. But, you know, I look at it and go, isn't this a great amount of variety? Because that's truly what the human body is. It's variety. So the question about the porn industry, which the porn industry is not my favorite thing to talk about, of course. I was guessing. I mean, (laughs) you know, it is what it is. Um, But similarly with, you know, changes in fashion, there's changes in ideals of beauty. So it's really interesting. If you go back and look at pornography from even the 1970s, you're not going to see any labia. And that's because hair removal was not huge. Right. In that area, right? So if you think back to, you know, the porn industry or any type of fashion industry, it changes over the decades. So ideals of perfection and beauty are constantly under revision. And what was ideal in the 1800s and what was ideal in the 1900s and even now changes constantly. So what we're seeing is this reflection of, oh, now that hair removal for women in particular, and also men, because we never saw scrotums before. <laughs> Thank God. Right? I mean, yes. <laughs> I mean, we, can we go back to that time? Thank you. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. One of the big, you know, I think um, prompts for specifically North American women and men to start examining their genitalia more was the push towards complete hair removal, right? So the first step was that. Then everyone started looking and saying, huh, you know, do I look the same as everyone else? And the answer is, well, you shouldn't look the same as everyone else because everyone is different. And that's how we're made. It's like a fingerprint. Right. Yeah, it's, it's variety. So, you know, it's one of those pieces where um, it's interesting now that things like facelifts and breast implants and even butt lifts have become kind of norm. Nobody doesn't question it as much. Um, But when it comes to alteration of intimate areas, that's really, really touchy, as it should be. But I think it's more about... yeah. Yeah. (laughs) As it should be. Absolutely. Because not everybody should look the same. So it's more about um, not coming and saying, I want to look like my favorite porn star. (laughs) Because that obviously would set off alarm bells. Yeah, you think? Yeah. Right. <laughs> so it's a, is it more an emphasis on being comfortable? And there are medical reasons why people might want to get a labiaplasty or a clitoral hood reduction because maybe they can't reach orgasm. Or if you have one labia that's really long, it might be uncomfortable. Exactly. So most of the prompt for my patients and women who who come regarding this issue is not so much that, you know, I've been looking at porn and I don't look the same and I really want to look like Jenna Jean. (laughs) Well, that makes sense. But you know, it's funny. The reason why I brought up the porn industry is actually it wasn't, 
my thought to go there. But right before uh, I called you, I had a conversation with a couple of male colleagues and I told them I'm doing a podcast today and we're talking to uh, a doctor who does this. And I asked them, I, th- I, I said to them, does the, I asked them, does the way a woman's vagina looks even matter to you guys anymore? Because I wonder how many women do it for sexual reasons. And the first thing they said In a perfect world, we'd all want a woman who had a porn vagina, but we know that's not realistic. And I thought, wow, so you're the problem. (laughs) (laughs) But do you know what I mean? There is that. And I brought it up because there are guys out there who actually think that's a thing that we all, you know, and, and I'm wondering if some of these women put pressure on themselves because of what they think the expectation is, as opposed to what the reality is. Absolutely. So there's 100% women who are putting pressure on themselves about, I don't look the way the ideal female in our culture has been portrayed, whether it's her vagina, whether it's her face, whether it's her butt, you know. Um, It's very important, again, to have a very thorough history, physical examination, consultation, you know, psychological evaluation about the goals and expectations of these individuals. Because primarily what I'm providing is for those women who like you touched on they come and it's I can't go to the gym comfortably because of things like chafing I can't fit into the clothes that I want to wear because of this particular aspect of my body generally it's I have no shame in regards to my sexual health my partner is perfectly fine with the way that I look which is very reassuring because as they should it's about their own personal comfort and well-being not about and like if it is getting in the way of you having a healthy sex life uh, of your own accord like if you're not willing to be with a sexual partner because you're worried how your vagina looks then that might be a perfectly good reason to get it looked at and worked on because you should you're entitled to having a healthy sex life Absolutely. You are entitled to healthy sex life. And everyone should have a healthy sex life. You know, it's interesting and good that you touched on the ideal of porn and, you know, the ideal vagina. I think it's a sad reflection of a lot of individuals of ours in our society growing up and understanding sexual health from the porn industry. That's not where we need to get our information. You know? Agreed. Totally agree. Yep. You know, that feeds back to, you know, major issues that I think all gynecologists and all physicians and, and all women and parents have about, you know, where is my child learning about their own body health and their sexual health? And the answer shouldn't be when I watched my first porn. And that's when I understood what sex is about. You know, this is when we need to be educating our children and our young ones about, you know, the beautiful differences between bodies and sexual pleasure and enjoyment and what normal is. That's important. Can I ask you a little bit about uh, the labiaplasty? I'm a little, I have so many questions about it. Sure. Um, And I... (laughs) I mean, okay, I, as soon as Sandra asks her question, I want to get into some of the other cool rejuvenation stuff because I have my eyes set on that as Melody. <laughs> I almost want to play a game with this is, you know, you tell me what it is and I'll tell you what I I think it is. Because, you know, <laughs> again, education is part of this. When I think of, of labiaplasty, mm-hmm. well, you tell me what is the procedure precisely? 
So when most people are talking about labiaplasty, we're referring to the labia minora because there's the labia majora, which are the outer fat pads, not the hair-bearing area, and very important for things like cushioning and, you know, um, sexual health in general. It's a protective area. And then there's the labia minora, which are the inner lips, which most women... Um, when they're talking about labiaplasty, that's what they're talking about. So what is it essentially is a revision of the labia minora, plus or minus the labia majora, depending on the woman's goal. Because again, it goes back to every woman is individual and everyone's consult needs to be an individual consult regarding what their goals and expectations are. And if their expectations are completely outside of what is possible to deliver, then that's a mismatch. And that's, not someone that I'm going to be, you know, taking to the operating room. Right. I have to be honest. So this is way too personal, <laughs> but righty is bigger than lefty in Hillary's world. <laughs> <laughs> and I've always wondered, is that okay? <laughs> oh boy. You go ahead, Hills. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just said, uh, in my world, my right labia is larger, like longer than my left. Right. And that like growing up was always a thing. And now through sexual health and education, I realized that that's totally fine. Right. And I'm not concerned about it anymore. But there was a time where I was like, oh, my God, I'm deformed. <laughs> right. Which is very unfortunate because, again, it's normal, just like everybody has one eye that's slightly higher than the other and one ear that's slightly bigger. And for women, not unusual to have, you know, the bigger breast, Right. You have the one side. Yeah, that's why they call me lefty. Are you kidding? (laughs) (laughs) Is that typical that your labia, one would be bigger than the other? Very much so. Wow. Yeah, but it's generally not to such a degree, like you said, (laughs) that it's it's so bothersome, right? It's just one of those pieces. It's like, oh, my left foot's bigger than my right. My left labia is the longer one. Again, it's normal. It's healthy. It's fine. It's only if you as an individual say, you know what? I'm just not happy with this for me personally. And I feel like I want to correct it. Valid. Absolutely. And what is the recovery time like? So the recovery time is generally a couple of weeks, anywhere from two to four. And, you know, I always joke with my patients, you know, it's hard to stay off your vagina. Stay off your vagina. (laughs) God. I would freak out going to the washroom, to be honest with you. I would lose my mind. That would probably be the most psychologically tough thing to do. Oh, no. Well, going to the washroom is no difficulty. But like any other surgical site, it's about giving it, you know, rest and uh, not wearing tight clothing. You don't want to be hanging out in leggings afterwards, essentially. Um, but it's an appropriate length of time for recovery. They do very well. Oh, good. Well, you know, I've been married for over oh. 20 years, so I've been doing nothing but rest my labia, which is <laughs> It's been on bed rest for years. <laughs> Okay, I want to get into some of the stuff that you do that's non-surgical, because I think this is something that we don't know a lot about in in the media. Like, it's not something that's gotten a lot of attention, but you have some really, really interesting procedures that you do through Yazdani, including uh, the Msella chair, the chair that makes you do 11,000 Kegels in half an hour. That's the one. Absolutely. <gasps> oh. So what does this chair do and why do people want to use this chair? Sure. Great question. So it's really interesting. There's, um, there's a huge 
I'd say, development in the marketplace presently about devices. And most of the time you'll see them in, in plastic surgeons' office, dermatology offices. Everyone's very familiar with lasers, right, um, and all the things that laser can do. So the Amcella chair is actually technology that's been around for a while now. It's high-intensity uh, magnetic frequency technology. And the Amcella chair was developed to address um, laxity of pelvic floor muscles to help strengthen pelvic floor and has been utilized to reduce incontinence. And again, in men and women. So it's applied for both. And the reason it's a nice option in the whole list of options that are available for people for incontinence is that it's non-invasive. In other words, it is a chair. <laughs> so you, you literally come to the office, you sit on it fully clothed, and in the base is a magnet uh, that produces forceful contractions of the musculature of the pelvic floor, akin to doing like you said, 11,000 Kegels in about a half-hour session. I, uh, <laughs> oh, my <laughs> gosh. Can I, can, okay, full disclosure. Since Hillary uh, uh, said what she said about her labia, I have to do full disclosure now, too. And uh, it started <laughs> about 10 years ago when I would sneeze, I would pee myself. But now it's uh, guaranteed I pee myself every time I sneeze. Guar- like, you know, like back up, people, because it's going down right now. <laughs> when I exercise, I always wear a panty liner. So I, I'm certainly a candidate. So years ago, I went to see a therapist. And uh, it was one of the most uncomfortable things that I've ever done when I had to get into the stirrups. She put her finger or fingers inside of me and asked me to, you know, tense up and, and uh, you know, squeeze my muscles. And she determined how much muscle I had left in there, I guess, and what percentage I was at. It was higher than I thought. She said I was about 80 percent. So oh, good for you. That's awesome. No, I'm probably at about 40 now, but, but then I was at 80. <laughs> but, this was a while But back. she did say it was a muscle and I had to work it. And. I never went back again because I found the whole experience to be, I didn't like it and I was embarrassed. And uh, I I never really did get a course of treatment for the way to handle it. But man, would I ever love to just sit in a chair? That would be much better for me than having someone put their fingers inside me and asking me to flex, you know? Yeah, and certainly um, it's variable from patient to patient. And so the pelvic floor physiotherapy that is available has been uh, an amazing stride forward for not only women's health, but men's health as well. And, and like you said, it's it's just different in that this is a physiotherapist. This is a person who has been trained specifically to help guide you in terms of your pelvic floor contractions. But it is quote-unquote invasive. In other words, they're going to have their hand inside your vagina. <laughs> yeah, and I get that. It's oh, real God. intimate. Like, it was, and I, yeah, intimate. it's very yeah. intimate, but I love that she was able to determine, like, what percentage I was at just based on a simple flex. You know, I thought that right. is incredible that she knew so much about what was going on. And it also told me I had a lot of work to do. Uh, yeah. But most people, <laughs> when you think about Kegels, like, you forget and you get lazy and you don't do your Kegels. I don't know any, none of my girlfriends remember to do kegels and do those exercises so this chair to me is is it not the greatest invention of our generation (laughs) that's incredible i love that 
You know, it, it, it really is a nice adjunct. It, like you said, it's minimally invasive. For those women who have utilized it, they're extremely happy with their outcome because it actually does work for women who have incontinence. And like I said, men as well. This is not isolated just to the female population because men suffer from pelvic floor dysfunction and incontinence as well. So the nice thing is this is for both. Um, and it is designed, like you said, for those individuals that, you know, it's your choice. Do you want to see a pelvic floor physiotherapist? Would you like to come sit on the Imcella chair? Can you do both? Of course you can. That's your prerogative. So it is, it's a nice invention. More, more, on, the inco- more on the incontinence, if you don't mind. Uh, I just <laughs> I do have another question about that. Because it's therapy, that means it's ongoing. So how often, let's just say, if I was, you know, at 50%, I don't know if I am, I'm probably less, but uh, at 50%, <laughs> Uh, how often would I have to sit in that chair for it to be effective? And I suppose that it would be ongoing then for as long as I wanted it to be. Right. So just like any other exercise regimen, right, if you don't keep it up, then things go downhill. So if I don't go to the gym, you know, I'm going to lose my muscle mass. If you don't continue on with your therapy, then you will revert back to uh, previous. So the recommended first uh, trial on the Ancella is six sessions, ideally two per week. Some ladies or men may need seven. And then you have a follow-up anywhere from four to eight months afterwards for a maintenance session. And then depending on the severity of your incontinence is when the maintenance sessions are scheduled. Wow. 11,000 Kegels. Are you sore when you get off? Sometimes, yes. You know you've done an internal workout. Wow. Right. Do you leave cigarettes right. next to the table for them? <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> Seriously. Um, I have some more questions because Sandra makes a lot of jokes about uh, getting older and drying up to sawdust. <laughs> Tell me more. I do. I do. <laughs> Tell me more about this Mona Lisa Touch laser and how it can make you wetter. Is that what that is? So Mona Lisa Touch is, is the brand name. It's a it's laser therapy. Again, lasers have been utilized in medicine for decades. And there's lots of different kinds of labors, lasers. This one happens to be a CO2 laser. And uh, when it's utilized for what's called genitourinary symptoms of the menopause, which refer to things like vaginal atrophy or dryness, um, what it does basically is it stimulates production of collagen and elastin fibers and increases lubrication for women who have been suffering from vaginal dryness. Um, it's nice because, again, it's in office, it's a painless procedure, um, and it can be used in addition with other therapies to help promote um, lubrication of the vaginal tissues for women that are suffering. And it also helps with the peeing, right? It does. It also helps with urinary incontinence when it's specifically applied uh, beneath the urethra and to the anterior vaginal wall. I'm just so floored by all of this information. I'm, I'm, do you know how, like you said, uh, Dr. Lovett at the beginning, how, you know, when we started living in a world with plastic surgery, people got very judgy about, um, you know, women getting their breasts done and their faces done and whatever. Um, I, I am one of those people. However, I would never judge anybody for getting their vagina done, which is, (laughs) it's the opposite. You know what I mean? It'd be like, you go girl. And only because this is a medical thing there's it is it is embarrassing as you get older to 
you know, pee every time you sneeze. There's an embarrassment mm-hmm. to that when you go out. Uh, and I mean, I joke about it and it, it doesn't really affect my life too, too much. But if I had to choose, I'd rather not. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'd really, I think most people would rather not. Rather not. Leak when they sneeze. Absolutely. Um, and I'd rather yeah. not be in the midst of menopause, which I am right now. I'm in perimenopause and my body has gone haywire on me. So I, I didn't know that all of these options existed. So for me, hearing you say all of these things out loud, honestly, and I kid a lot about these things, what a game changer it is for so many women. You're changing lives, really. Well, we want to do good care for women. And, you know, like I said, being a general OBGYN, it's a pleasure being involved in the care of all of my patients. It's just nice now that the medical community and the research community within is finally starting to concentrate on the needs of women in particular. Um, Because I think we're finally coming to recognize that with our lifespan, we are spending half of our lives in a postmenopausal state. That's huge. Oh, for sure. And as soon (laughs) as men couldn't get erections, there was the little blue pill. And everybody knows about it, and it's totally (laughs) acceptable. Oh, yeah. But nobody knows about the lady procedures. Right. So it's very important, and not only from a... I don't want to say classic or standard, but, um, you know, there are certainly treatments that have been around for a long period of time and are medically proven for things like vaginal dryness. And these do include things like um, localized estrogenic application, whether it's a cream, whether it's a tablet. That's also a very important part of management of things like genital urinary symptoms of the menopause. It's also important to recognize that the other changes include things like decrease in libido decrease in sexual confidence and ability to achieve orgasm. And that's not always just secondary to dryness. So it's really exciting for me and also for a lot of my colleagues that provide, you know, women's health care that we have, you know, we can have a broader conversation now around, you know, well, these are the options that are available to you and how you choose to proceed can be tailored to your needs, um, but is also based on your, your needs and your wants. Oh, absolutely. For sure. It's it's like it's funny that you know how uh, when you are on social media they have those targeted ads that uh mm-hmm. so for me I have a good ad blocker on my laptop actually. I don't even see any. Oh, you don't even see any. <laughs> I am co- constantly be, being followed around by Spanx and uh a, oh. a new Canadian company. I won't name the company uh because we're not going to give them a free shout out, but uh they are basically a a, a vaginal uh spray that they sell. And they have cleaning products, especially designed for women, and a spray that you would put on after, and it's like a disinfectant kind of a thing, but it smells. I know that because I bought it. It smells really, really good. But I don't know that it's doing anything except it just makes my vagina smell like a candle. You know what I mean? (laughs) Okay, Dr. Lovett, I have two more things. Well, it's really just one more thing I want to ask you about um, and then a follow-up question. Because I do know that you also do some procedures that help women who have pain during sex, some non-surgical stuff. And I know that that's something that a lot of women struggle with. Can you touch on that just a little bit? Sure. So pain during intercourse or what we refer to as dyspareunia um, can be secondary to a number of factors. So there are women who suffer from, you know, just occasional pain, which is usually, you know, wrong position, 
you know, we switched and then, then everything was fine. <laughs> and then there are women who suffer from such significant debilitating, what's called vaginismus or vulvodynia, that they're just completely unable to engage in penetrative intercourse. Um, and these conditions are very complex. It is not a simple fix because it not only involves taking an extensive history regarding their own personal belief systems and trauma experiences, um, but also we involve like our psychotherapists, our pelvic floor th- physiotherapists. Um, but what I provide specifically at my uh, aesthetics clinic is the opportunity to engage in vaginal Botox if they have trialed all of the other modalities for treatment and are still unable to engage in penetrative intercourse or touch. Um, so I do offer some other therapies for women that have basically almost reached the end of their rope. You know, um, you mentioned vaginismus. I, am I saying mm-hmm. it right? Vagin- yes, you are. Vaginismus. Okay. I actually know someone with this condition. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's a young lady, actually. And uh, she recently revealed this to me. And uh, she was telling me how horrendous ha- having sex is for her. And she's not very sexually experienced. But she actually avoids it now, and she's way too young to uh, to not enjoy sex at this point. So uh, it it sounds to me like is is Botox something that you would recommend for that condition? So it depends. Again, it's it's a possibility. It's one of those pieces that there's a lot of work that goes into treatment for vaginismus because, it, like I said, it is not a simple condition. It's not a simple fix. These women and these very unfortunate women, first of all, they need to know that they're not alone because one of the problems with vaginismus is it's very isolating because you think right. there's something wrong with you. You think you're broken. You know, like, what's wrong with me that I can't? have sex. Sex is a natural thing. Right. Everyone else can do mm-hmm. it. I can do it. So the important, you know, part of understanding vaginismus is first for the woman to understand that, you know, this is not something that she's done. It's not her fault. There's nothing actually wrong with her in that regard. She needs to have a proper assessment and probably counseling and a lot of specialists involved in her care. But Botox can be part of that for some women. So for those that you know, come to me looking for that, they've generally done all the other things. Like they've been down the road of, you know, I've I've seen three gynecologists and I have my pelvic floor physiotherapist and I have my psychologist and I'm, and I'm in a good space, you know, and I'm getting treatment for, you know, my trauma or my bad experience. And now I'm just interested in that last piece that will actually allow me to have comfortable intercourse and maybe fingers, everything crossed, actually achieve comfortable orgasm because everyone deserves that. Okay, Dr. Lovett, my last question is this. What's it going to take, because all procedures have a cost, Mm -hmm. what's it going to take to get some of these procedures that are currently deemed aesthetic, but clearly medical, covered by our healthcare? That's an excellent question. So there's a lot of politics that go into that piece. Um, I'm not sure if there will ever be a time anytime soon in which surgical aesthetic procedures would be covered by a public health care system. Um, additionally, the adjunctive treatments that we do offer um, probably require a lot more time um, and acceptance and research before they would be listed under, say, an OHIP-covered process. That frustrates me so much because... I have to say, if it were wieners, it get fixed, <laughs> but it's vaginas and it's not happening. Right. 
Well, in, in, you know, in the, in the male defense, a lot of treatments for things like erectile dysfunction um, are actually not covered either. So, you know, I know we all talk about Viagra and the little blue pill and, um, you know, penile implants are certainly covered, but there's a lot of other procedures that are out there for erectile dysfunction that are actually not covered as well. So I think it's a global recognition of, you know, sexual health and intimate health that needs to be recognized as part and parcel of our well-being, because it is. Dr. Lovett, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It was lovely talking to you. I know I'm, we're, we're really thankful, by the way, that we, you squeezed us in. We know that you probably have patients waiting to see right now. So uh, thanks for coming on the podcast and educating us. I will be Googling uh, labiaplasty later and vaginal tightening <laughs> because of this conversation. <laughs> Maybe the Mona Lisa touch laser as well. And, I'm, and I definitely, if I'm ever in London, can I please come and sit in that chair? I would... I might actually kill to sit in that chair, actually. Absolutely. <laughs> come have a seat. I'm going to come sit in the I'm chair. I'm so sad. I can't sit in the chair because I have a plate in my wrist. <laughs> sorry. It was an option. I know. That's so brutal uh, that you couldn't have. I would have loved to hear how Hillary uh, handled it. I'm sure she would have done great. <laughs> She'd be going back daily. <laughs> walking bow-legged for a week. Um, (laughs) But thank you again for taking time to talk to us. If people want to learn more about the procedures that you do at Yes, Danny, how can they find you? Oh, like everything else, we're on the internet. So there's a (laughs) website, of course, uh, for Yes, Danny um, Aesthetics is the name of uh, that particular uh, clinic in which I work. And if anyone has questions, they can always email us or ask directly. Um, happy to see or answer any questions. It's a pleasure being able to chat with both of you. And I hope everyone knows that, you know, labiaplasty and any other sexual health offering that we have, it's always tailored. It's individualized because, like we talked about, vaginas are beautiful. They're magical. And everyone should know that. Uh, yes, you know, they are. Differences are amazing. <laughs> I'm so glad we got to talk to you and clear that up. And I say, hey, if it means you get to live a full, happy life, you do you, girl. This episode is over, but the conversation doesn't have to be. Follow Hillary and Sandra on social. Instagram at Hillary on Air, at Sandra Kiss 1053. Twitter at Hillary Welch, at Sandra Kiss 1053. And on Facebook at Quick and Dirty Podcast. Got a question? Email Hillary and Sandra, thequickandthedirty at gmail.com. Don't forget, you can download the podcast each week to your mobile device to listen offline. Find The Quick and the Dirty on FrequencyPodcastNetwork.com, iTunes, or wherever you download your podcasts.